スーパープラザーズ Welcome to Gamers on the Go, a podcast dedicated solely to those games that you can take with you. I'm your host, Chase Kennecke. Today's show is on Sword and Sorcery EP, or rather Super Brothers, colon, Sword and Sorcery EP. And my guest today is Mr. Zach Fleeman. Hello there. Be sure not, uh, don't forget that EP part. That's important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Extended play. Um, so for those, those who are not familiar with this game... It is uh, started out on iPad and then came out on iOS and, and now has uh, a Mac, Linux, and, and Windows version. Uh, you can get it on Steam. Hell, you can get it on Android now. Yeah, that's uh, pretty weird. So lots of ways to play this game. Uh, my first experience with it was on uh, the iPod Touch, uh, or I guess that's the iPhone version. Zach, what's the first way you played this game? Uh, iPad 2, the day it came out. Oh, you bastard. Yeah, it was. It, I saved it for that iPad for a little bit, and uh, yeah, I just I was like, okay, this thing's really cool. But it, so the iPad two launched March eleventh, and the game launched I think March twenty fourth. I was looking mm-hmm. up earlier. Is that correct? Yep. So, man, yeah, you played you played it right away and played what is quite possibly the best version of it. Uh, um, I I had to wait for mine. The iPhone version didn't come out until uh, April. Uh, late April, so about a month later, and wow. uh, it just—it—it's one of the few games that makes me feel like I really wanted an iPad, and it was probably the only game at its time that made me want an want an iPad. Um, so was it too? That's always what I wondered. Was it too small on that uh, iPod Touch? I mean, I could have played it on my—I guess I had—I didn't have an iPhone at the point, but when I got my iPhone, I guess I could have played it on my iPhone, but it just didn't seem too appealing to me. Was it that? How was that? I, I didn't have a problem with it. I was used to playing games on on that smaller screen, but it's it's a game that I could see being better on an iPad, having a little bit more screen space. And I mean, it, it, I've got larger fingers, so I was covering up quite a bit of the screen when trying to do things. And it, I guess it did make it a little tougher to move around. Anyway, I think we're getting a little bit ahead of, ahead of ourselves. Okay. Uh, we sh- we should tell people more about like what this game is. Um, I mean, other than, than, uh, uh, well, it's like an adventure game, wouldn't you say? Uh, adventure in quotes. Right. I mean, it's, there, there's some, it's a point and click game and there are some combat elements and it's, it's more of like an atmospheric game than anything. Yeah. It, uh, just the way you experience that game, you need, uh, you see every iPhone game or iOS game, Launches up and it says, "Oh, for best experience, put on headphones." But this game, it really needs those headphones. Like, get some high fidelity headphones. Just sit down on your couch and, yeah, or take it with you because it's portable. But I sat on a couch. <laughs> I, I was in a bed when I played it. Uh, I, I actually owned it for a while and was just taking taking time to play it or find the good good time to play it. And I played it um, December of that year. It came like for me. It came out in April. And I didn't even play it until uh, December of, of 2011. It was I was on vacation. Uh, my parents had gone to bed, and I ended up playing pretty much all of it 
uh, I think I actually split it up into two night sessions, but uh, it was it was a really interesting way to do it, especially when you're when there are so many mechanics that deal with the moon that to to play it at night when you can see the moon right outside your window, it was it was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, that's actually pretty neat. Um, but let's talk let's talk more about the the history of the game, kind of where this came from. Um, this old segment that I keep trotting out. Uh, so the game was co-developed uh, as a collaboration by Capybara Games, which henceforth will be known as Cappy. That's the way most people call it. Uh, mm-hmm. And and Super Brothers. And Super Brothers is actually really just one guy uh, named Craig Adams. And he's got some other people with him, so there, there aren't actually any brothers associated with the Super Brothers. Uh, and then music uh, by Jim Guthrie. And we'll definitely get into the music later. That's a, a big portion of the game, like we, like we yes. mentioned with the headphones. Um, Cappy Games, you might know them from the previous work on games like Critter Crunch. Uh, I think that was a PSN game. I think it's come to other platforms after. Um, then there's also Might and Magic Clash of Heroes, which that came out, I think, first for DS, and then they made an XBLA version, and, and it's come out in lots of different versions now. And they're also making the upcoming Super Time Force uh, for Xbox Live Arcade. So they do a lot of digital, digital stuff, a lot of little downloadable games. Uh, that have been fun. Uh, Super Brothers, though, uh, this is the first and only game so far from Super Brothers, um, Craig Adams. Um, he did put together a collection of levels, though, for sound shapes uh, made by Queasy Games that came out earlier. Um, well, I guess that was last year at this point. Um, and I've, I just got to play sound shapes, and there's going to have to be a whole episode dedicated to Sound Shapes because I love that game. Yeah, I got that game for cheap uh, off of PS Plus, and it's still in my Vita. I need to boot it up. I'm way too into Little Big Planet right now, but that, I can get to that. That's understandable, time. yeah. Um, but, but I, yeah, that, that's a whole other show. Um, but, but they did make some levels, um, which I guess is called an album in Sound Shapes, uh, with, with more music done by Jim Guthrie. And it looks, if you've played uh, Sword and Sorcery, you're going to, get nostalgic just by seeing the same kind of pixely art that they that they have in in sound shapes now oh, uh, cool. well at least for that album uh previously super brothers had had done a lot of stuff with jim guthrie um they worked on a lot of video shorts there's one called children of the clone um that was recorded uh on a sony playstation by using mtv's music generator <laughs> which that that sounds crazy to me uh, to to be able to make music creation tools on the PlayStation that just sounds terrible actually yeah so. I mean that that alone sounds silly but then I've I've never been able to make like, real listenable music in games uh, in any sort of game like that um, I guess I mean people have been doing it since what Mario Paint um, and then more recently Sound Shapes actually does does some cool stuff with with level generation um, and sound like that but. I I can't believe that anyone actually would make an album that other people would buy uh, by playing playing a game. And oh, this was a real thing. Yeah, there's a, there's actually an album out there, a companion album that people can buy um, that's that's just music made with MTV Music Generator, and that's insane to me. Um, they also made uh, our Super Brothers, along with Jim Guthrie, uh, made uh, some more shorts. Another one called Dot Matrix Revolution. Um, they also made a, uh, a, adapted some words in a, in a Jonathan Blow lecture, um, that was part of, it was called design, the design reboot lecture. I don't know where it took place. Um, but he was talking about how video games are designed and in true Jonathan Blow fashion just kind of says that we're all 
doing it wrong and and there's a better way to do it and he of course knows the way to do it well, he knows uh, all. Of, of course yeah he's he's never done any wrong um according to some people uh, i'm not one of those people i didn't really like braid but i i at least can respect that he's trying something different anyway <laughs> um so so videos i'll i'll link to all those videos in the in the show notes on the tumblr if if people want to see them they they're in that exact same pixely style as sword and sorcery ep so if you've played that um you you might enjoy these videos that that kind of have that same style um and and kind of with that they've made more videos than they have games and super brothers actually kind of identifies itself not not really as a game developer but more like a creator of just audio visual entertainment their uh their website right now i think that's superbrothers.ca if i'm if i'm not mistaken you can they they say like hey sign up for our newsletter where you can hear about our next AV project. Uh, they don't they don't say games, they but they don't necessarily say videos. It's just like, yeah, we we make stuff. Or I mean, after or playing Sword and Sorcery that that makes sense, but there are definitely gamey parts to their projects. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think going forward they're going to uh do more stuff with games. Um so far um I, th- I think they said now they're finally finished with with Sword and Sorcery. They they were working on they were working with Eight um, Four Play, uh, who's a, a Japanese uh, translator um, led by uh, if you've read EGM Mark McDonald or, or EGM and One Up um, Mark's McDonald <laughs> Mark McDonald and uh, and his team there. They also have a podcast, the Eight Four Eight Four Play podcast, which is actually really good. Um, they usually localize Japanese games into English games like Dragon's Dogma and, uh, I'm trying to think of other ones, but all I can think of is Dragon's Dogma at this point. Uh, but on this one, they actually did it in the reverse and they took this English game and, and brought it out in Japan and, and did some really cool stuff with it. They, they got, uh, some Japanese game composers to, to do like a remix album of the Jim Guthrie songs and, um, they got some. I would really like to hear that. Actually, it's actually on sale. Uh, it's somewhere. I know it's on sale at Eight Four's website. Uh, I'll also link to that in the in the show notes somewhere. But uh, and and you can preview those and listen to those and then buy the album if you like it. But that's pretty cool. Like they got. Um, I don't know if they got a Final Fantasy composer, but I think there's a Castlevania composer. Uh, I'm really shitty about knowing composers and, and people who worked on games unless I've just looked them up for a podcast like this. Nobu Uematsu. Yeah, they, I, I think, yeah, I, I feel like he did a song or two for, for this album. Anyway, I'll, I'll be sure on that when I put it in the show notes. Um, so that, that's kind of the history of this and, and what you might know those companies for. Um, so now we should probably just talk about the game. Um, but when we, when we get into the game, I think this email we got from Matt Jaguer, um, best, best listener of the show ever, Matt Jaguer, um, kind of, kind of sums up a lot of what we're going to talk about. So let's bring that in first and then build off it from there. Uh, good. so Matt writes in, I only want to say this was my favorite game of 2011 and made me a believer of phone and tablet mobile games. Uh, very good use of the touchscreen, great music, interesting story, setting and character, Blah, blah, blah. His words, not mine. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sure you guys have touched upon all these topics. Uh, we will. <laughs> um, and then he says, though, I think you should talk about the imagery of vinyl records if you haven't. So we'll we'll keep that in mind 
And then he signs off with, we are now cosmic friends forever, okay? And, uh, and then he even adds the, the sorcery um, hashtag at the end, which, uh, well, well done, Matt. I liked that. Um, so we can, we can get into that, too. So, Zach, let me just open up the floor here. Um, what, what about sorcery is a game that, that makes you want to talk about it? Like I, that was one of the few games that I, I put out this big list of games that I would want to do podcasts about and, and you immediately jumped on it and said, I, I'd like to talk when you do a sword and sorcery, um, podcast. Well, along with what's his name, Matt Jaguar or magic air, <laughs> Matt Jaguar. Okay, I'm going to call him Magic. Uh, so Magic Johnson just said that it was his favorite game of 2011. That, I mean, it competes for that role um, for me uh, with like Little Big Planet Two and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think up until up until Sorcery, I'd always like these tiny, you know, art house games. You know, the the stuff you'd see on like PlayStation Network or you know, I, I loved Braid. That kind of kicked all that off. Um, and sorcery really actually kind of started how I digested games from from that point on. Uh, up until recently, I haven't really played very many games that are that aren't these like little tiny experiences, these gigantic games. Like it, I dragged my feet for months to get to a big game like Batman: Arkham City, you know, for example. I just didn't want to play it. Sword and Sorcery had done that to me. Um, it was it was just it was something like. It was this studio or Super... I didn't even know what Super Brothers was, really, so I just downloaded it on iPad because that trailer for it was amazing. Like, it was, like, calibrating your vision and all that stuff. <laughs> um, I just thought it was really well promoted, and a lot of video game blogs I was reading at the time said, hey, this is something you, you're you going to want to see. And I I flock, like, a, a ninny to pixel art and all that stuff, and it just makes me really nostalgic. So... I don't know. Something about the game just drew me to it because I had liked those, you know, tiny artsy, fartsy games, and it it kind of changed the way I like games to an extent. I, I just wanted more experiences, audiovisual entertainment, if you if you will. Oh, I I totally agree, uh, and and that's why I think uh, not directly comparing the two, but that's why I think I like a game like The Walking Dead that came out this last year. Uh, because there, it's another one of those maybe those games that people argue and say maybe those aren't games, but to me they 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 just are these experiences that I really enjoy having. Like a journey would be another kind of game in that in that realm of of games that that are more like experiences than really games. Um, so, those allow themselves to really tie to. I think events in your life, like March 2011. I mean, it's odd to me thinking that was almost two years ago, but <laughs> that was my last semester of college. Um, I had just got the, like I said, um, these dates just, that just ring in my head. Like I got my iPad on March 11th, and uh, that that following spring break, I downloaded Sword and Sorcery, and I just played it, and that was a lot of my spring break was like studying this game, thinking, oh, wow, this is actually something really special. The music really got to me. I immediately bought the album and I just obsessed over it for a good amount of time. And then I didn't really think about it or give any thought to it until I was thinking, Oh, what the hell did I play in 2011? And then sword and sorcery like stood out very, very clearly to me. Right. I mean, there, there was like Skyrim and, and portal two, if you want to talk about 2011 and how awesome it was, but, but yeah, um, 
I, I definitely really love Sword and Sorcery, um, but I, I didn't really get a chance to play it until uh, until after, on my other podcast, World 8, we had already done our, our Game of the Year, and, and people had talked about that, and, and I felt really bad that I hadn't played it at that point, and I think that's what really kicked it off to, for me to, to give it a shot. Um, but what drew me to the game uh, was, was that kind of pixel art that you talked about. Uh, I really like the way Super Brothers makes their pixel art stand out from, from other art in that same sense. Um, it's, it's, it's different. They're, they're taller. I, I call them tall pixels. I, I guess it's more just putting pixels, um, just making the proportions a little taller and, and not actually changing what, what size a regular pixel is, but yeah, their limbs are like one pixel in depth. It's just really interesting looking. Yeah, and and everything's just so long and lanky and tall. Um, but I thought that was gorgeous, and I didn't care what this game was about. I just needed to needed to try it and have something that looked that cool. And then actually playing the game and hearing the music and getting the atmosphere, and it's just a game that sucks you in. And I, that's another reason you have to wear headphones is because that that just puts you into that immersive feel. Um, I, I booted it up a little while ago uh, before the podcast, just trying to kind of remember um, some more of the atmospheric stuff. And I didn't have my headphones in and it, it just, it was so different playing it and going, man, this is, this is cool, but I, I don't feel nearly as much as I did when I first played it because I, I didn't have, I wasn't playing it with the optimal experience. Um, Speaking to that immersion effect, like I took it home uh, over that spring break, and you know, what, you know what every senior in college is doing uh, over spring break, sitting in his parents' basement. Right. So, I uh, <laughs> I just took the iPad. I had my like Bose stereo headphones that went around my ears. I felt pretty legit. I just sat in their couch, and I pretty much marathoned through it in one night. Um, I had I had beaten like the first segment and then put it down like it suggested like the book that that you play the game in apparently because you play the game and the book opens and uh, that already closed and said hey sit this down and come back like in twenty minutes which I thought was kind of cool mm-hmm. asking the player to do something outside of playing a game. Well, have you played Wii Sports? Nintendo tells it to do, tells you to do that every five minutes. Like hey, it's I, a, it's a beautiful day outside. Why don't you stop playing Wii Sports? <laughs> yeah, I mean after I broke my elbow playing Wii Sports, I didn't play that game anymore. <laughs> I didn't really break my elbow. Yeah, okay. I was like, is that a true story? Am I laughing too hard? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you should laugh harder. But, um, <laughs> so I, I sat down, and there's something about the iPad. Like, this is still my first experience with an iPad, pretty much, was playing this game. It was my most in-depth, like, usage of my iPad uh, to date. So, I mean, you're sitting down, and it really becomes clear how... I don't know. I, I mean, I had had I have had iPod touches in the past. I've had a lot of touchscreen devices, but that screen the screen being that big, and it's smaller than a laptop, but you can manipulate it like you can hold it in any way that you want, and it just becomes a really. And I don't know if this is the best word, but an intimate experience. Like you're holding on to it. No, I understand. Yeah, and even just like browsing the internet, like you're just reading your article, but you're also like manipulating with your hands via gestures and you can just hold it and it becomes a really personal and intimate experience with a, a device. And it sounds, that sounds kind of creepy, but it just makes a lot of sense to me to use the word intimate, but I'm sitting there and I'm completely absorbed into this game. Like it's, it just blows my mind how, I, I don't know by how much I was just like, I was touching that world. you 
pop shrooms in the world. You can see all this stuff float around you and you're tapping it. It just really absorbed me and was just a an amazing sit down. I, it was just a really good time. Well, discussing uh, kind of off to your point on on holding the iPad in any way you want for this game, you you'll have to do that. There there are some orientation changes if you're playing the game on on an uh, on an iOS device. If you're playing on Mac and PC, you can't actually change the orient- orientation of of your laptop, or you can try and probably break something, but. Um, but I think that's what makes the the tablet and and iPhone game um, the superior versions. Um, when you when you're playing the game as an adventure game, you play it uh, in a landscape uh, proportion, and you you get to see a whole lot more of of this really beautiful pixel art that that uh, Super Brothers have made. But when you get into a combat scenario, it it tells you to to flip your uh, tablet or phone into a into a portrait view. Yeah, good sound when that happens too. Yeah, <laughs> and then you uh, and then you do the combat. The combat. Uh, well, let's just get into that. This was it, it wasn't my favorite part of the game because I I really liked the way it was atmospheric and and I I didn't need combat for this game to be fun for me. But the combat is it's all right. Uh, oh, I loved it. Really. I, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, tell me, tell me why you loved it. Maybe, maybe I'll fall in love after hearing why. Well, I, so you get into that first battle. I don't know what it's with with the wolf and like that. The first time you're, it's like, hey, turn your, you know, turn your new iPad on its side, and it can it will put these virtual buttons on the screen. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's what like freaked me out. I was like, okay, this is, this feels like a game now. Like whereas before, I was just walking through listening to. Uh, that Lone Star track. I was mm-hmm. now I'm like pushing buttons and dodging a wolf bites with a shield and sword, and I don't know. Maybe it's the way the animations sync up with the sound. It makes it sound. It makes it feel really quick. Like you're just, um, even though you're just standing there and you're waiting for the other person to attack and reacting based off of what they do. Like it just feels the animation is just quick and abrupt. And to where when you beat somebody down for like you know the final blow, you kill them. It's it has a lot of weight to it, and it was really surprising to me that. Something that seemed like a simple mini game had a lot of had a lot of punch to it. I, I guess is the best way to describe it. Okay, I, I do I do get you and understand where you're coming from when you uh, it, it does have some weight in in more more so than other games that are similar uh, with this kind of fighting style, like something akin to Infinity Blade. Um, having having the more simplified controls in what you're doing because it does have virtual buttons, but it has two, and they're big enough where you're not going to. I mean, this isn't a game with like a virtual D-pad on it that that's terrible, like Mega Man Two was. Yeah, um, I have no interest in that. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's not good. I don't know why I even bought that. <laughs> um, well, I know why I bought that because it was Mega Man, and I got lied to. Um, but having the simplified controls in the combat allows allows the combat to be a little more almost story based. Like you're you're going to see different animations. Uh, for for hits at the end of of the boss battles and you or not boss battles just any battles, um, and, and and things change. I mean it, things change in, in normal combat in most games anyway. But it felt like it, the combat felt different, even though you were still only using the same two buttons to do uh, attacks or blocks. Yeah, or, it was sparse enough to where not one battle felt like it. None of the battles felt repetitive at all. Like mm-hmm. it was just so like a 
I want to say there's under 10, not including boss fights, but under 10 fights in that game. Yeah. Yeah, there, there aren't many. Some of them are just really easy. Some of them are the boss fights that, you know, took me try and try again. But And I think that's I, my biggest problem with it, is that is that those boss fights specifically, but then other fights can do this too, There's there is some trial and error to that. And when the, when the game is trial and error and then also has the Infinity Blade system of having to wait for your opening to attack, uh, even though with this it's a little bit more understandable because it goes along with a musical track, uh, the it makes the fights really slow to me, and then even slower when I'm killed by something that's not uh, intuitive at the very beginning, or it, I, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Should I attack or or block when something does this attack on me, um, or like when is my opening to attack? And then you die, and then you have to do that same thing, and and I think that's where it kind of grinds a little bit for me but then like you said there are there are so few battles that it's really not that big of a deal and it really doesn't make the make the game bad i mean the game's great yeah i mean but i so one of my favorite things of the game was was part of the point and click adventure part where you're walking you're just walking right you half Mm -hmm. the game is just walking to from one side of the stage to the other side of the stage but then you get to experience these you know amazing pixel art landscapes that just I, I don't know how it was on the iPod Touch, but I mean, you could pinch out to, you could zoom out and like see from a wide distance. Was was that on the iPod Touch? Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, so you could just see these uh, gorgeous landscapes. So that was really cool. But some of my favorite moments in that game were in the combat with the music. You know, accompany uh, uh, the music. I'm not going to try to say that word. Accompaniment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Say, say that word. How do you say it? Accompaniment. Yeah, you you got yeah. it. Yeah, so music, and um, so <laughs> when you're fighting, I, I think it is every Trigon boss, so when you fight these triangles, pretty much, and the story, it, it might have been too long, I'm, I'm blanking on the story, basically what it was. So when you're fighting these triangle bosses, the it basically turns into a back and forth, like uh, they shoot a little orb at you, you shoot one back, or you knock it back, it's like right. a ricochet thing like you would see in Ocarina of Time or something like that. The music going to that is just some of the coolest, I don't know, you see that triangle move really slow, it's really ominous, and it can kill you, and well, it can, it'll kill you eventually, and I don't know, something about those fights really got to me, with the bosses, at least. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, let's. that sounds like a good transition there. This game takes a lot of inspiration from The Legend of Zelda. Um, the three Trigon bosses that you fight, those end up, when, once you defeat them, they go back to being the three pieces of this, um, is it just called the Trigon itself when, when all the pieces come? I don't remember, uh, but yeah, why not? It, it's basically the Triforce. In fact, it's so much the Triforce that it's just an upside down Triforce when you, when you finally assemble all of it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you're, you're this character named the, the Scythian or Scythian, Scythian, I believe. Um, and she's got a shield and she's got a sword and she kind of looks like Link a little bit, um, except with the floppy taller hat. pixels. Yeah, a little floppy hat on her. Um, and it, it, you just go through this kind of foresty area, and and even like you said, that those battles with the Trigons are a lot like battles you've had in Zelda, where you have to reflect shots that are coming at you with your sword um, or, or block at the right time. And 
I don't think anybody, Cappy nor uh, Super Brothers, would deny that The Legend of Zelda is a huge reason that a game like this exists. Yeah, it, I, that didn't click to me when I was playing it for the first time, but that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, another game that I think this game, maybe not directly uh, is inspired by, but but at least when you play it, you can see the see the connections, is a game called, um, I think it's called Out of This World in America, but it's also been called Another World or Outer World, I believe it's what it's called in Japan. Yeah, that's another point and click that got to iOS that I wanted to try, mm-hmm. but I've never gotten to it. That game, that game's hard in that they don't tell you what to do at all, and you die in one hit, and you're just it's it's kind of this adventure game. I, I don't think it's as point and clicky. Maybe it is, but I, I played it on whatever. I think I think it came out on NES, uh, something with a controller though, and it was it. You just kind of have to explore and hope you don't die. <laughs> And it's I, I never really got that far in it, so I couldn't tell you much about it, but it, it reminds me a lot of what Sword and Sorcery does with the exploration and just seeing these really amazing pixel art scenes uh, and vistas. So that's really cool. Uh, we had both talked about beating this game relatively quickly. Uh, you said you finished it in one session, I finished it in two. Uh, that was not every gamer's um, experience with this. Yeah, there was a lot of uproar about the moons and stuff or something, right? Right. The game has has this feature where um, there are certain portions of the game that are cut off from you until um, a lunar event happens. Uh, I bet, uh, this game actually came out near a solstice, a solstice or an equinox, I forgot which. Yeah, um, it's, it's something about its launch had to do with, like, everyone was speculating when it was going to come because they said, that tr- launch trailer said, oh, when the, I forgot what it said, when the sun and moon aligned or something like that. I don't know. So it was pretty interesting with that. And that. and that's actually a gameplay thing in that the game has, a game opens up when there's a full moon or a new moon um, and, and, like, there are specific doors that won't, open or, or let you go through until it's the right time period. So it's kind of, uh, other games that have done that are things like Animal Crossing uh, or, or games that take advantage of a calendar. Um, and, and there are ways around it. You can you can set your time on your on your um, device, iDevice, uh, to to whenever the there would be the next new moon or the next uh, full moon. Yeah, but, but don't do that. Don't, yeah, don't. The game recognizes that you're doing that, and it will, uh, doesn't it keep you at 99% or it, or it... Yeah, so you'll beat the game, and the little completion percent will always say 99%. Right. Um, in fact, I, I think that's what happened to me. I'm sitting at 99, um, I, but it's been a while since I played it, so I don't know if I did that or, uh, the other way of getting around it is this, uh, room where you can change the seasons and it's not it's not really a convenient room to go to but you can get to you can get through the game faster if you go to this room where you specifically can change the phases of the moon and and kind of the setting where you're then able to to go through um, those doors that you previously couldn't yeah my biggest complaint with the game kind of revolves around that I wasn't confused about the moon thing I I I, maybe I misread something in the game saying, oh, hey, wait till the next moon cycle. I think I knew of that room before um, before that was introduced, before it said, hey, just wait to play the game. 
So I, I didn't think you had to wait, so I just would go back and forth to that room whenever I uh, had to do something. And that back and forth was really annoying. Also, even more annoying uh, when the game suffers the inevitable adventure game thing where, hey, we're not really going to tell you what to do. What you, tell you what to do until you try this random ass thing. Right. I feel like it kind of suffered from that just a little bit. You know, like how old uh how old LucasArts games or Lucasfilm games uh you know, try hairbrush on television set and you you know, something would happen that was mm-hmm. completely random and only the developers would know how to do that. That combined with the moon cycle room kind of ooh, that was a tough like hour I was going back and forth between that thing. <laughs> I, I can understand. I mean, and to that same point, there's also a couple of times where it, it turned into a bit of a pixel hunt where I'm just kind of tapping everywhere on the on my iPod Touch hoping that something happens. And then, like, uh, there's a puzzle where you have to bring baby ducks closer to their mother. And, and at that point, I'm just tapping everything on the screen. And finally, one of those little ducks lights up. And I go, oh... So it has something to do with ducks, and then and then you can start getting there after that. But I would have never, I would have never gotten that if I have to just if you look at that screen and go, well, what's the what's the puzzle here? I go, I, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was actually only, there. I only got stuck in this game one time, and it's because the it was on a puzzle, and it was a puzzle that was different than all the other puzzles. Most of the puzzles in the game, in fact, I. I believe it's all of them except for this one deal with you just poking things. Um, and, and you just, you tap and, and that's it that you found the thing to tap or you tapped it in a certain order, but there's, there's one, and I think it deals with waterfalls maybe, but you have to strum. Um, and actually you have to strum the waterfalls in a certain order. And I was having a hell of a time figuring out that I needed to strum because everything else was just tapping. So I'm just trying to tap on these waterfalls, and occasionally it would work uh, because I, I guess I dragged my finger a little bit when I was tapping, and and then I'd try tapping something else, and it didn't work at all, and and that just took forever um, until I finally figured out, oh wait, it's it's when I'm I'm dragging my finger across these, and it's it's like a guitar. Yeah, um, my my moment of getting stuck was that island that you have to raise out of the water by splitting it. Yeah, that was isn't that that might be the most beautiful part of that game. Yeah, it blew my mind, because I was stuck on it. I was like, I have no idea what to do. And I tapped the moon, or sun, or whatever it was, and I saw, like, the reflection move. And I had no idea what to do. I would, like, mess with them forever. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute. And I just took both my fingers and spread them apart, and this <laughs> island comes out of nowhere, and I freaked out. Yeah, yeah it's that is, that's a really cool part of the game. Um, I, I love this part. Uh, it, it subtly gives, the, the only hints the game really gives you are in the form of just some white text that shows up that's usually only a word or two, and and one specifically is you're you're walking to the edge of of uh, this landmass, and you're you just see this really amazing um, sun. I, I think it's a sunset, or or maybe it's just the sun in the air, or maybe it's the moon in the air. Whatever time you're playing it, but the the water, the reflections on this game, there aren't really reflections. It's just copied back down. Um, on the water part, so it's it looks so crystal clear that that it's just the exact thing that you're on, and it just tells you believe, and, and you just you can walk on water after that, and that was so that was so cool to me. 
I feel like that moment was a little bit ruined for me because I didn't let my finger go. So I was still walking. And uh. I said, believe. I'm like, what does that say? Believe. And I'm already walking on water. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess I could see that. But uh, but that was really cool to me. And then, yeah, on the island, you have that same thing, except then you, you do that, um, the two-finger uh, puzzle part. And that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I do remember that one taking me a little longer to, to figure out, too. Um, but But that one was slightly more intuitive um, in, instead of just, like, trying to brute force it like some other puzzles might have had to do. Um, there isn't really a lot of dialogue. There, there's actually only one credited voice actor uh, for for the game, and he doesn't really say much. Um, there aren't actually whole, that many characters. There's only four? Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's four, you, Logfellow, the girl... The dog, which is called Dogfella, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, then there's um, the... Well, when you begin the game, you actually aren't even in the world yet. You aren't in the world of whatever the world's called, the, the, the world of the game. You, you start in this kind of limbo area and talk to this guy who reminds me a lot of... Um, oh, my God. G-Man. There you, there, thank you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um uh, his name's the archetype, I think, and and he's just wearing a suit and tells you things that are going on in the game, and kind of has this omniscient quality to him, and and then he brings you into the actual game. Um, so there there are really aren't that many characters, but the one credited voice actor, uh, which matters to me and and Zach here. And and maybe a couple other people is uh, Robert Ashley, who formerly from EGM, uh, and then he started his own podcast called A Life Well Wasted, which we are both huge fans of. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, but uh, he is Robert's kind of not done an episode for a long while, which is really sad because it was really really well done. Yeah. Um, he's been um, focusing I, I did on like his... his involvement in the game, though. I mean. It... When I, I didn't, I saw him tweeting about the game. I think this is back when I followed him on Twitter before I got pissed off. Um, uh, he was, he was tweeting about the game quite a bit. And, uh, so I, I didn't really know. So I checked it out. I, when I played it, I, I didn't, it didn't click with me that he was the voice of Logfella for, I don't know, maybe like two scenes through it. And mm-hmm. because he, he doesn't really talk much. He just kind of, kind of goes, huh? Oh, hey. Yeah. Good. He just makes these really tiny appearances. So. And when I finally realized it, I kind of freaked out a little bit. It was, it was interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and then you got pissed off at him because uh, he kind of stopped doing a life well wasted to work on his band uh, called I Come to Shanghai. I I kind of like the band a little bit, but Which I would. I, I've I've come to realize that you know I I'm not I have weird taste in music. I don't you know I like they might be giants. So they they are not a good sound, but they're comforting to me for some reason because they mm-hmm. kind of have like a dorky voice in music. A music compilation that kind of has nerdy, not nerdy and nonsensical lyrics, and that's kind of like what I heard a couple songs of. I come to Shanghai, so I can't, I can't hate, but I just want him to do a life well wasted. Uh, yeah, I agree. I have, I have multiple posters of a life well wasted on my wall, uh, and those are always really well done episodes that have that that give you stories in in video games that you don't hear so much about and they're they're like the fringe stories of video games they they, yeah. they did one on um it's cosplay I heard about uh Jason Rohr and all of his projects and now I'm a huge Jason Jason Rohr 
cultist nut. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, in, an interesting note: uh, Log, the the voice of Logfella in the Japanese version is done by Suda Fifty One. Um, really cool. And, and yeah, that was just kind of uh, a thing that worked out. Eight four, um, I guess, as friends of Suda, and and just contacted him because he was a fan of of the English version, and they just got him to to do those voices for for the Japanese version. So he's the one saying, "Huh, what? Yeah, hey," in in uh, in Japanese. Um, we we mentioned before in the in the email from Matt the uh, the hashtag with sorcery in it. Uh, that was kind of a somewhat contentious part of this game, especially when it first came out. Um, the the game has really great di- really great text and dialogue, and yeah. and it it kind of mixes this super fantasy JRPG kind of uh, sensationalism about how much how much things matter and, and like how shiny a sword is or something like that. But then it will also throw in these little throwaway colloquialisms, uh, at the end of these long lines that, uh, that kind of just undercuts it a little bit. Like my favorite line. And the only one that I tweeted out was, uh, or one of the only ones I tweeted out is early in the game. You get this, this book called the Megatome, Uh, and it says we got the Megatome and we are the smartest. And it's, I, I love that line, um, but then it, it happens all over, all over the game. I'm, I'm trying to remember lines from it, but it's, it's just like that, hey, the girl's doing, doing all this interesting, uh, girl's doing this specific thing with these sheep. Yeah, she seems cool. <laughs> and Yeah, it, I mean, the cool thing was every line of dialogue, like, not just conversations, but, you know, before you had to skip to the next line, was under 140 characters, so you could tweet every single line of that game. And some people did, and those people were yeah. assholes. <laughs> um, and that was really annoying. This was one of the first games to do it. Um, later, I think Uncharted did it, did something like that, too, where you could tweet out your your achievements or trophies or whatever, um, or, or other things that happen in those games. And, and then lots of games started doing things where you could send out accomplishments on Twitter and, and kind of get that social media buzz out of it. But, but that was a really big thing for sorcery is that people tweeted out these funny lines and they all had the sorcery hashtag at the end. And I think that got a lot of people into the game, but then it also got a lot of people really annoyed at those people who, who utilized that feature yeah, it confused the crap out of the uh, my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, like she she thought I was she didn't understand that I liked I was playing this game called Sorcery and it had a Twitter function. No, she just saw me tweeting like, "Oh hey, derpa 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 log fella, poop poop stick hashtag Sorcery," and she's like, I don't, "This guy's kind of weird. I don't know what he's tweeting about." And I had to explain to her that entire thing. And, and for me, playing the game half a year after the the big commotion with it has has been over. Uh, I felt really weird about tweeting out anything from the game uh, because like, that time seemed like it had been passed. And if I tweeted it out now, maybe you'd just have people writing back and going like, hey, yeah, fuck off. We got that. Um, we, we've, we get it already. We've been there. So I, I only tweeted out the Megatome line and I think probably the, the final line of the game. I don't even remember what it is. Um, but I, I, especially for that first month, hated those people who tweeted about sorcery because... I could not play it and to see people tweet about it. And I felt like they were ruining parts of it for me that there were just lines that 
I would I would be hearing later and and not understanding what they were now, but knowing that when I heard them later, I'd, it'd be somewhat ruined or that maybe I'd know something. But yeah. I mean that, and that's the thing. It's I mean I was mentioning how it's kind of this art house type experience. It is the flavor of it was kind of the flavor of that weekend month week whatever type of game. Like you know how we had I don't know if you I don't know I don't know if I saw you on Steam playing it or not, but that weekend Hotline Miami came out. Everybody and their mother was talking about Hotline Miami. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a week later, nobody was. So, I mean, that, that's kind of how those Super Brothers tweets were. Like, it was just the flavor of that month or week or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't playing Hotline Miami. They still haven't gotten that Mac version up. But when they do, I'll I'll be there. I, I already bought the game. It was cheap. Uh, it was 5 bucks when I got it on some sale. Mm-hmm. And when they put in the Mac um, version, I'll already have it and be ready to play it. Um, yeah. Music in that game is fucking awesome. Music yeah, in I this. I listen to that at work all the time. But speaking of music, like yeah. <laughs> the, I, I don't really know Jim Guthrie, his relationship with Cappy is, or whatever his name was, as well as you do. But I will tell you that. Um, so I got a new car last fall, and one of the coolest features was like, oh, I can plug my my iPhone into this. This is really cool. And so as soon as I plug my iPhone in, it goes to the first. Um, it goes to the first song, like, with the letter A on my entire iTunes music library. And I'm like, that could be a little bit annoying. Mm-hmm. But the first song in my iTunes music library, starting with A, is called Activating Trigons from Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery. <laughs> and that song is actually pretty dope. And you should actually, like, play it underneath this or something on the podcast. I oh, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, so I hear that song every day. So I'm always reminded of that moment when you're, like, finishing up the game, like, putting all the trigons in the right place and how it's... You know, when you were placing them, I don't know if you remember this, but when you're placing trigons in the little set stone areas at the end of the game, the music changes when you change when you place that, mm-hmm. and the song actually kind of reflects that. It's at a random interval, so you know the song changes at random intervals, and it's a really unpredictable song. So every morning when I drive into work, it's like, and I'm just waiting for it. It's really cool. <laughs> I, I I do like the music. Uh, there are, uh, and activating trigons is is what I feel is more like a exception to the rule. But being an atmospheric game, a lot of those tracks are are really atmospheric, and and there are fewer, I guess what I would call songs like more traditional more traditional songs and music like that. Um, and and maybe in the album, which I I haven't actually listened to the album, which is a is shame on me. But um, I mean, you played the game. I, I did play the game, but in that way, you're playing. You're hearing them more in the atmosphere of the game and, and playing with the sound effects, and and I think that's what um, makes them a little bit more atmospheric to me. And I'm not appreciating them as as solo tracks. Right. There is one. I, I forget. It might be called Doomstick or something like that. But uh, it really has this good vibe where the song is literally just. It's just a low bass note going do 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 do, and it, it reminds me so much of the uh, I forgot the, I forget who made it now. It's like part of the title, but the thing the '80s of the Thing movie. Have you seen that? I, I have. I've actually been on a podcast where I talked about it. Yeah, I mean that. Well, one that movie's amazing, but two the the way that movie starts out is just with that low bass tone, and it just goes do 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 do. And I heard a Jim Guthrie. Is it Guthrie or Guthrie? I get hung up on this. I I don't think I've actually heard anybody say his name. I've I've always pronounced it as Guthrie, but I I couldn't tell you. So Goody was on a podcast, <laughs> and he uh, he explained how. 
I don't know, he explained how his, like, influences for that music, and one of his influences was the thing, like, for that track, that, that low bass tone, that scary, you know, walking through the cave and it going dun-dun-dun-dun. His biggest influence was, uh, this is going to kill me, what was the guy's name? Uh, the, guy, the guy that made the movie. John Carpenter. Yeah, that yeah. guy. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know that's what you're looking for. Yeah. I would have helped you out earlier. So, yeah, that was one of his biggest influences, which was really cool to me. I really enjoyed that, hearing about that. Isn't that the best feeling, is to is to get somebody's inspiration uh, when, when somebody's referencing it or at least uh, showing that they... Showing it some kind of reverence. I I love being able to to like get on that. It's it's a bit like an in joke or like some kind of um, just little little thing between you and and the developer where you're like, yeah, I, I understand your vision for this and and why you put this in, and it, it's cool that we both have this appreciation for another piece of media outside of the piece of media you're serving me right now. Right. I didn't, I didn't, when I was playing the game, it didn't like click to me like, oh, this is a lot like the thing. But when he said it, I kind of freaked out. I was like, mm. oh, that does make sense. It yeah. was really neat. Um, well, let's see. What, what else What else do we need to talk about here? I, I have it on PC, but I don't, I don't know if I want to play it on PC. It, it's, you know, I'll, I'll give you that. And, and that kind of goes into uh, something that I feel about a certain subset of games where I play them once and I can really appreciate them for what they are, and I feel like a second playthrough would only... <sighs> Cheapen sounds a little harsh, but it, it I don't think the game can live up to the first playthrough again. That's a good point, because I've, I've started that game like maybe five times, but only played through it once. Mm. I, I, a game like Shadow of the Colossus, I, I've played once and loved it and when i've gone back and tried to play it again i had a game club thing that that somebody said like hey yeah we're gonna play shadow of the colossus and i go i don't i don't know if i want to play that again and they forced me to and it just wasn't fun anymore and i was i was noticing flaws and i was playing the ps2 version and not the uh not the uh bundled um hd remix or hd collection turbo hd remix yeah definitely (laughs) um shadow of the colossus turbo hd remix um, where you can get the super combos in there. Yeah, arcade edition. <laughs> 2013. Um, but yeah, they're just these kind of games, and I think Sword and Sorcery is definitely one of them where I have enjoyed what it offered me, and trying to play it again would only... I, I would never reach that same experience as the, as the first time. Yeah, I, that's it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that, because I don't think I've ever thought of... I definitely have my games that I don't want to play through again, uh, just because, you know, my first experience was, was great. Like Heavy Rain, for example, I can't play that game again because I, oh dear God, I can't put Ethan Mars through that horribleness again. And like, you might, I, and you might get a different outcome. He's like playing with his kids and they're both really happy. I'm just like, oh, you poor bastard. I, I can't do it. <laughs> and, and that game but, specifically is one about choice. So if you, if you play the game again and choose the other choice, that's not, that's not the story you had anymore. And it's a totally different game. And right. even even David Cage, the the creator of Heavy Rain, specifically said, "Like I, I wish people would only play this game once. Uh, that that's not feasible, uh, and it's it's a little selfish to to ask somebody to pay sixty dollars for a game and then only play it through one time. But that that was his kind of hope that people would play it once and have enough um, reverence or, or feel enough ownership over their single story." that they wouldn't want to go back and, and see another side of the story because that would just 
uh, I, I mean, cheapen, cheapen what they played through the first time. Yeah, which I, I mean, I can see that with The Walking Dead right now because you have the multiple decision paths. Mm-hmm. Um, which why I, I, I think I don't count Super Brothers as that one I will never play again. I think I will play through that game again because it is going to be one unified experience, and I, if I just want to play that one thing again, I can. Mm-hmm. But you know, my story with the, my Lee and The Walking Dead is just it's completely you know that's that's mine. I don't want to experience anything else. I totally agree. And with that one, it's it's super hard. Because uh, over this last Christmas break, they they put it out for free, the first chapter for free on pretty much everything. So now I have the first chapter of the XBLA version. I have the first chapter uh, for iOS. I played that game uh, as a Mac version um, on Steam and and loved it that way. And I started to play the iOS version just to see how how it deals with a touchscreen instead of instead of a laptop. And it was really interesting. But at the same time, I was like, this, it feels weird meeting Clementine again because this, this isn't the way I met her the first time, or this isn't the way I acted the first time I met her. Because there was that little part of me that went, oh, I already know what's going to happen here unless I choose another option. But then I chose the other option and I felt bad about it that that's not the way I played it before. Like I waited, I waited for dark this time when before I said, yeah, let's leave. Well, it's still light outside. We have that safety of the light. And it just felt wrong. Yeah, I mean those decision games. I typically try to do like I. I don't. I'm really bad at role playing. I guess because I, I just make <laughs> a lot of decisions that I want to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then then I'll play a game like Mass Effect and and really enjoy playing it again and seeing the other side of it and and having my Paragon game and my Renegade game and maybe even a game where I play it more like just I would play it in if it was happening to me and. I can't explain why I go back and, and play some of those games that are about choice or, or that feel like they give you a great experience, but then a game like Sword and Sorcery, I don't feel like playing again. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, we're kind of staying on this topic a little bit too long, but I think the, I think you're nuts with Shadow of the Colossus. I, that's like easily top five games for me. I get that game. It's just, it was so... Like that, when you, whenever I talk about that game, I get worked up. Like it's a, it's an amazing, it was an amazing experience in my life. But I tried to do those speed runs over and over again. It was just amazing to re-experience over and over again. So I think it's interesting that people can have those differences and you know what they want to play through again. Yeah, and I think that's a, a cool part of games is that they allow you to do, to do that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. We're kind of. I feel like we might we might have spent so much time on that because we're running out of things specifically to talk about with sword and sorcery. Um, can you think of anything else that needs to be covered? Not not really. I was looking through my notes here. I mean, I, if I had to say if I had to wrap up what I thought of uh, sword and sorcery, it was just an amazing like I don't know how long it was like three three to four hour experience that it really made me experience a. Um, I don't know. It gave me such an odd time with a device that was new to me and how I could interact with technology in such an intimate way. I keep on bringing that word up, but it just gave me, I don't know, it gave me new experiences that I really haven't ever had. And I probably never will because it's just, I, can't, I don't think I can recreate that first time, like he's like you said. Well, for me, going back to, to Matt's email, uh, or going back to Matt's email when I'm, I'm thinking about the game in general, uh, his line of it, it made this game made him a believer of phone and tablet and mobile games, and and I would totally agree. I was I was using my iPod to play like 
I, I don't play Angry Birds, but that kind of experience where you were just going in, playing a little bit. Uh, like, I love Drop 7. Drop 7 might be my favorite game ever on, on an iPod Touch. Um, but that's a game that's just, it, it's like five minutes, it's a puzzle game, it's free or 99 cents or whatever you pay for it, but it's it's not it's not an experience, it's not like a real game, it's like Tetris at that point. Um, and I, I guess even more, maybe it's more of a pure game than than more of these story kind of telling things. But but then you get a game like Sorcery in there, and you, you try, or Sword and Sorcery, there's a PS3 game I think called Sorcery that is not good from what I've heard. Uh, Use your move controller. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> um, maybe maybe play Johann Sebastian Joust though, um, but I need more move controllers and uh, people to play that with. Anyway, um, but this this I mean just to Matt's point that this game made me a believer of that uh, of the iPod Touch as a legitimate place where you can play really fascinating, interesting games, and they don't just have to be puzzle games or or little platformers that use the touchscreen, um, but there's there's actually some real depth to these. And when I first decided to make this podcast, I asked myself, like, do I really want to include iOS games or, or mobile games in, in with this? Because I love handheld stuff so much. I'm a Game Boy kid. That's, that's the stuff I love and want to play and want to talk about. But then I thought about games like Sword and Sorcery and and thought, yeah, you got to, I have to include these these games because they were really great experiences and they are great experiences on the go. And, and that's totally justified in in being a, being a game that I want to talk about on a podcast like this. Yeah. Well, I mean, what draws me to new systems, new consoles, handhelds, anything really is, you know, chasing that experience that I can't play on currently what I have, which is, I think why I'm more of a PlayStation guy because they have a lot of you know first parties and making first party software, and is what, which is why I, lo- I love the Vita right now. I can't really play those games on anything else. So Super Brothers, it showed me like it was within a week. No, I don't know. I don't know the date it launched or when I played it. The timetable's all messed up, but it showed me very quickly that my the iPad I bought, like it almost justified that purchase because I was like, wow, I. I can't ex- experience what I just experienced on anything else. Like, it was just something really, really cool. And it, yeah, it nearly justified my iPad purchase. Yeah, definitely. Um, we should, we should though, uh, <laughs> Matt did kind of ask us to talk about uh, the imagery of vinyl records, so maybe we should touch upon that just a little bit. Um, I, I mean, not, I'm not a huge um, audiophile, so I, I don't really uh, know the differences between uh, a vinyl sound and, and how it sounds on like a, a CD. I couldn't tell you that, uh, if something was playing, if it was an MP3 or an audio CD or, or a vinyl record, but I do appreciate the idea of vinyl and, and, and sword and sorcery does some really cool, um, I mean, they're almost throwaway things cause they really have nothing to do with the gameplay or anything like that, but when you start up the game, there's there's a record that has the, the three trigon pieces on it, and you can you can do record scratching um, just by touching the the the, uh, the vinyl record there, and that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, they stole that off of WarioWare Touch, though. Sorry to say that that is true. Um, yeah, WarioWare Touch is a great game. 
yeah, all the warrior I wears are green. Kids to hell, or whatever the record said. <laughs> oh man, yeah, the the warrior wear series will definitely get its own podcast at, at some point. Oh, um, good point. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of Twisted. I think that's my favorite one still. Um, you want to come back on for that? You don't have to say yes right now. We can talk off the air, but yeah, we'll uh, talk about it later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, even Super Brothers have has done um, uh, the the uh, record cover for I forgot what the band is. I'll, I'll definitely put it in the show notes. But they they actually did an album cover that has that same art style as as Sword and Sorcery, and it looks really cool. And and that's just I mean, if if you like vinyl records uh, and like Sorcery, that might be something to look into. I don't know how the music is. Um, cause I haven't listened to it, but, uh, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. I'll check that out. But other than that, I think, uh, I think we've done a podcast here, sir. Um, thanks for having me on. Slow clap, slow clap, slow clap. <laughs> uh, Zach, would you like to tell us, uh, where the internet can find you, something you're doing, want to plug anything? Uh, I have a, a few things going on actually, which I didn't even think to plug anything until right now. Um, you know, you can always find me on twitter.com slash zfleeman. Zfleeman everything. Like, I, you can type in zfleeman.com and something happens with me. <laughs> um, and also, uh, oh, I have, a, I have a YouTube show called Sketch Match where I ba- make tiny doodles with my friend and we ask the audience to judge them. Um, having a lot of fun with that. We'll be back soon or something. I, I, love, I love that concept. When you first, when you first uh, were putting that out there. It seems like such a simple concept, uh, and it's one of those things where you go, damn, why didn't I think of doing something like that? And yeah. I mean, it, it's not – we're definitely not getting a lot of views, but, I mean, it's a lot of fun to do. I just like the idea of tiny YouTube game shows. Mm-hmm. I, it seems interesting to me. Absolutely. I, I've had a lot of fun with that. And it's it, – the thing I like about Sketchmatch the most is that you have these two completely different personalities. Uh, what's your co-host's name? I totally forgot. Sean. Sean. So Sean – is a pretty accomplished artist. Like he, he can do some things with, uh, with, uh, with his, is he using a Wacom tablet? Are you both yeah, using tablets? Using Wacoms. Okay. So he can do some cool stuff with a Wacom tablet and, and has like a really interesting art style. And, and then there's you. <laughs> um, yeah. I might as well just be, I don't know what I might, I might as well just like jump out the window. But, but the cool, the interesting thing for me when I, when I've watched the show and when I voted is, do you take Sean, which has who has done, you know, I mean, overall a a better job of of showcasing the art, or do we pick Zach, who who tries like a different, you try different tactics, and and you try getting the getting the essence of it, or getting um, like a like a weird perspective on it. Like I I had to vote for you when it was uh, Splinter Cell or Sam Fisher. I don't know what the the word was. But uh, you just made three circles that had um, that had green in them, and he actually tried to go more all out and and make a spy. I was like, "Well, I got to go with Fleeman. That that nails Splinter Cell." Yeah, and pretty much I can only draw three circles, and that exhausts <laughs> me. Uh, but I I think it's a fun show, and I've I've definitely kept in touch and um, and been watching that and and voting, and people should, and they can find that at uh, what's the URL for that? It's. The website is just Sketchmatch, but it's sketchmat.ch. Yeah, yeah. That was that was clever. Well done with that. 
Oh, yeah, well, sketchmatch.com was taken. Right. So. <laughs> uh, um, anything the, else? The other, thing, the other thing I'm very, very excited about that's happening February 1st is I've been playing a lot of this action RTS made by Valve called Dota 2. It's pretty much I have, I I have heard you uh, tweet stuff. that it's a couple times, yeah. Um, been playing a lot of that, but on February 1st in downtown Kansas City, we're hosting a 24-hour marathon for Child's Play Charity, which I is probably the first time you've heard of it, Chase, because I haven't really announced anything yet. Wow, so, exclusive. Um, if you go to Dota2Marathon.com, you can read all about it and watch watch on February 1st. It'll be fun. Very cool. That's awesome, Zach. Yeah. Uh, as for me, uh, my Twitter handle is at Chase underscore Kenneke. That's K-O-E-N-E-K-E. Uh, you can also tweet at the show at GOTG Podcast, uh, Facebook.com slash GOTG Podcast, uh, and uh, GOTG Podcast at gmail.com if you want to write in. Uh, the Tumblr is GOTG Podcast dot uh, com, and you can uh, suggest games that you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, like like always, I don't know what the next episode is. Uh, this this episode's come with the, about a month after the last one, so I'm sorry that I'm not getting these out uh, as quickly as I'd like to. Uh, but that was Christmas break, so so maybe you can give me a break, and uh, I will I will try getting these done uh, a little bit more uh, quickly in the next time. But um, but I want to thank Matt Jaguer for writing in. Thanks for other people for for uh, for letting me know how what they like about the show. Um, and we'll be back maybe in a couple weeks, maybe in a couple months. I don't know, but, uh, we're going to be talking about a handheld game for certain. And, uh, and now that you know that I have a Vita and have been playing sound shapes, maybe I'll, uh, stop being stingy on Sony games and, uh, and bring something about yeah, those. I was, I was shocked when I got your friend request on PlayStation Network. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're, you're one of the few people I know who has a Vita, so I needed to, you know, jump in on that. Um, but I think that's there as a podcast. So thanks a lot, Zach, for coming on, and no uh, we'll definitely have you on for a, for another podcast if if you're available. WarioWare. Um, so thanks everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.